Hi, this is Carolyn Nee Lachlan, your hostess with the mostest of From Paper to People podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 127, Guardians of the Galaxy Movie Review. Chris McBride, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. You're going to find Derek on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM, and you'll find me on Twitter at C McBrien. And if you are enjoying the show, take a minute on iTunes or wherever you download and listen and leave a review for us. That would really, really help us out. Derek, what is new in the world of pop culture for you, my friend? Hey, Chris. Uh, well, we uh, we didn't record last week because I was away on vacation. Yes. And while I was off, I enjoyed some fun in the sun and some cold beverages on the beach. And I had some downtime in the evenings and I got a chance to watch a whole bunch of shows and movies that I had uh, saved up. So I had a chance to finally watch the Star Wars show, The Mandalorian. Oh, yeah, it's nice. Have you seen it yet? I have not, but my 10-year-old son has watched all the episodes and loves it on Disney+. Plus. Ah, okay. Well, I, um, I finally, my wife and I had a chance. We would, we wanted, we're both big Star Wars fans, so we watched it. Mm-hmm. We both really enjoyed it. Um, I, I think by now most most big fans have have seen it or are familiar with it, but I won't spoil anything. Um, but essentially, I liked that it is it is basically a western in space in the Star Wars universe. It's it's pays homage to the Man with No Name, the Clint Eastwood um, westerns. Uh, like literally the character in the 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 Mandalorian armor, the Boba Fett like armor, he, they, they don't tell you his name. They just call him Mando or Mandalorian. They, and so it's quite literally the man with no name. And he he's a, a bounty hunter. But of course, he has a crisis of conscience in the first episode. And then when he decides to do the right thing, it, you know, shenanigans ensue. And then you have seven more episodes of him having to deal with this moral moral choice and uh people who are more interested in the money than doing the right thing and uh no i was really good i really enjoyed it uh i've read a little bit of criticism on it but i think if uh, if you're a fan of the original star wars trilogy uh this has a lot to like it uh, it doesn't reference or call out or feature any characters from any of the movies it's just set in the world of star wars which i think uh, is good because then you don't have any of that baggage. Uh, you don't have any of the criticism that comes from, well, this character could have this and this character could have that because we know this and that from the movies. No, it just it takes place in the world that the movies took place. And I believe it's supposed to be five years after the events of Return of the Jedi. So not that that's really that important uh, to the to the overall story, but just for hardcore fans who are like, when does this take place? So, yeah, if you're uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, you got Disney Plus. Uh, I would certainly recommend checking it out. Um, also, I had a chance to watch a couple of uh, of older movies. We watched uh, the Zombieland sequel, Zombieland 2 Double Tap. Have you seen Zombieland 1, Chris? I have not seen that and I didn't even know they made a sequel. They made a sequel. And if you liked part one, I would say you'll probably like part two. It's more of the same. It takes place, I think it's been about eight or nine years since the last movie. It takes place eight or nine years later. So they they just sort of say, this much time has passed, and now we're going on a new adventure. And it's more of the same. So if you didn't care for the first one, probably not going to care for the second one. But if you're... uh, if you enjoyed the first one, if you like zombie movies, uh, zombie comedy movies, it, uh, it, it was pretty good. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought, it, well, again, sequels are not usually as good as the first one, but it, it was pretty good. Uh, except, for, last, except for Wrath of Khan. Uh, of course, Wrath of Khan, oh, one yes. of the greatest sequels ever. ever yeah. Aliens, one of the greatest sequels ever, despite mm-hmm. what Chris said. <laughs> uh, you know, Empire Strikes Back, one of the greatest sequels ever. So, And of course, my favorite of all time, Break Into Electric Boogaloo. Electric Boogaloo, yeah, of course. You know. So. And then uh, so when I got home, uh, I had recorded a bunch of movies that were on uh, on cable while I was away. And one of the channels we have is the Turner Movie Classics. Oh, nice. And so in the month preceding the Oscars, which just passed, they have the 31 days of Oscars. And it's all these movies that have won Best Picture. And so I had a whole bunch of them on my PVR. And again, I had a little bit of downtime. So I, I finally got around to watching the movie Terms of Endearment. Oh, how did you like that? It was not great. It, it, not not for me, bud. Yeah. It, uh, it won a slew of Oscars. Yeah. Uh, the acting was great, but it is really 
I don't want to say of its time. It, it was of its time, but like the just the way the movie was crafted was of its time. Like you can really tell, in my opinion, anyway, you can really tell when a movie was made based on uh, how the performances are done, how people act, how this, how it's shot. Like there are certain certain styles where if you've never seen a movie before and it comes on TV, you can sort of say to yourself. Okay, this is clearly like from the 70s. This is clearly from the 80s or the mm-hmm. 90s. Uh, maybe not so much with the newer ones just because we don't have the uh, the luxury of time and experience and distance to sort of say, oh, well, this is how this is different from something that's newer. But yeah, it it, it, it wasn't for me. I didn't like it. I would certainly not recommend it to most people, but it's I can a, understand. It's a tearjerker, though. Did, 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 did it get yeah, you at all? Well, yeah, it definitely pulls on the heartstrings a bit, but I think – I, I I sort of knew enough about the broad strokes of it that I sort of knew where it was going or I could figure out where it was going pretty quickly. But it's long. It's like two hours, two hours and 10 minutes or something. And I was just like, oh, my God, is this thing gonna ever going to end? So, yeah, <laughs> it's one of those ones where it's like this is one of those great movies everyone should see. OK, I saw it. Shut up about it. Yep. I never want to have to watch it. All good. One of our uh, one of our listeners, friend of the show. Uh-huh. We have, we have friends of the show. This is a great. couple of them. Yes. Our friend, Kurt Kalin. Oh, Kurt Kalin's a great guy. So I know he sent you a T-shirt not too long ago. Yes, he did. After you had said that, you know, despite your Canadian uh, heritage, you're not a big fan of the Tragically Hip. That's correct. Uh, uh, you know, that that, those, that that doesn't compute to me. Those mm-hmm. two things usually synonymous. I know. So uh, anyway, uh, he reached out to me and uh, he said he wanted to send me a little something. And I got in the mail today. Uh, a toque, or as our friends to the south call it, a knitted cap. Okay. <laughs> with yeah. the the 100th Meridian logo, and this is the name of the tragically hip tribute experience, the tribute band that he is a part of. And so uh, I want to say thanks for that. And nice. uh, you can never have too many toques up here in the Great White North. And the fact that it's uh, got a shout out to uh, tragically hip, I'm I'm fine with this. So. I will uh, take a picture of it and post it on our social media account so that nice. uh, everyone can see me sporting the hat that Kurt sent us. Nice. People, people can send us stuff anytime they want. If, if anyone yeah, in, sure. in the United States wants to send me crunch berries, I can't get them here in Canada. Please go ahead and do that. Okay. A couple things I want to mention pop culture wise for me. So about 10, about 10 years ago, uh, I was watching, there's a, there's a TV program out of Toronto called Breakfast Television. Okay, and I'm yes. watching it 10 years ago. And I, I said to my wife, Honeymoon Suite was on there. And I've mentioned on this podcast before, Honeymoon Suite is one of my favorite rock bands of all time. I just love them so much. And so it's this is 10 years ago. They said, oh, they're going to be playing at the Diesel Theater in downtown Toronto. So I said to my wife, we're going to the Diesel Theater tonight. And she's like, why? And I said, we're going to go see Honeymoon Suite. She's like, well, who's that? And I'm like, oh, just don't worry about it. So we go and I take her there and... Every single song that they sang, she's like, oh, I know this song. I know know this song. Oh, I know this song, too. And every single song, she was like, oh, my God, I know these guys. So I was like, I told you they're good. And she's like, wow, they're awesome. So anyway, long story short, fast forward 10 years. And for Christmas this year, um, I noticed that Honeymoon Suite was coming to Casino Rama. You know, which is, you know, like north of Toronto, right? And so I got us tickets to go see it. It was on Friday. And so we went to see Honeymoon Suite again. And, but this this time they had a band that was opening up for them. And it was Prism. Now, nice. <laughs> I don't know about you. So going into this, I, I, I like, I, I'm like, Prism, I think I've heard of them before. They got, uh, what is it called? Uh, uh, Spaceship Superstar. Spaceship Superstar. Yeah. So, oh, so I looked them up and I'm like, okay, I know one song that these guys sing. No, no, I, they get a few others you'll know when you Yeah. Hear. And I'm like, I know Spaceship Superstar. It's the only song I know by them, right? Because they're more 70s, whereas the Honeymoon Suite was like 80s, right? So anyway, so I, I get there and, and, and I got us seats seven rows from the stage. We're like right down front. And so like, I thought well, we're going to go see Honeymoon Suite. I want to be right there again, you know, right, right, right in front. So we go down there and Prism comes on and it's Al Harlow is like, he's maybe like 70 years old and he is the lead guitar player and singer for it. Now he is the only sort of founding member of the group that's still around. Um, he was originally the bass player, but, and he was just great like he was he probably about 70 years old but he's like jumping all over the stage and playing guitar solos and everything so they come out and the first song that they open with is spaceship superstar and so i turned to my wife and i said well this should be interesting they have one song and they're opening with the one song that they have so where's this gonna go and song after song after song just like you said i was like i know that song 
I know that. I've heard that. I didn't know that was these guys. And you know what? I absolutely thought they were fantastic. Like songs like Take Me Away and Night to Remember, Young and Restless and Armageddon. When they played Young Armageddon. And Restless. Young and Restless, they yeah. played quite a bit on one of the classic rock channels here. Yeah. And Armageddon, I was like, I know this song. This is a great tune from the 70s. So anyway, I really, really enjoyed it. I got to say. But anyway, like I say, then Honeymoon Suite came on. And like I say, we're right, we're right down on the floor. My wife grabs me and goes, we're going to the stage. And I'm like, what? And so she pulls me up and we went right down and we stood in front of the stage. And the band was like right there. Like, you know, Derry's playing the guitar and he's sweating on us. And I don't know if you've seen on my social media, but I posted some pictures. I'll, po- I'll post them up I on did, the... I did, yeah. On the, I, I thought they were professional pics. They were like so close. I know. That, that, was, that, that was me on my phone. They were right in front of us. Like, I mean, right in front of us. And, the, and Johnny Gee comes over and he's like, it was just I'm, fantastic. I'm so glad my wife did that. So that was my one thing that I wanted to mention that I went to see a concert and I just had a great time and went right up to the stage. And the second Second thing was, uh, the other night, uh, I'm putting flipping around on TV, and I got the Roku. You know the Roku stick? Yep. You know, I have one of those. I love it. And so I go on there, and there's a Roku channel. And so <laughs> I go on, and I said, my wife goes, you can put on whatever you want. I'm like, okay. Uh-oh. So I go on there, and I know, uh-oh, is right. But I found this show, and it's like, it's not even from the 70s or 80s. You'd be so proud of me. But it was probably from about 10 or 15 years ago. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, but have you ever heard of a show called Iron Chef? I have heard of it. I, I don't think I've ever seen it. <laughs> so I put this on. It's Iron Chef USA. And so for anyone that's listening that has ever watched this show or you're, you're familiar with it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So what it is, is that they have, first of all, they have a chairman and the chairman is, is William Shatner. So, so Shatner comes out <laughs> and he's the chairman and he's like in charge of the whole thing. He's like this vaunted food like expert, right? And it's like all cheesy and over the top, but it's so good. And then they bring out, they have four iron chefs. One likes from Japan. One is from like, I don't know, Germany, one from the United States, one from England. And then they have a contestant and he's a chef. And he comes out. And so he gets to pick who he's going to go up against. So he picks the American guy. And he's like, okay. So then they go head to head. And they they bring them down on the floor together. And they don't know what their main ingredient is. It's all a surprise. And it's hidden in this thing. And then what they do is they reveal it. And you have one hour to make four dishes, including a dessert. All with this, whatever the ingredient is. Okay. <laughs> and so they bring them out. And they're Shatner and everything. And then they reveal it. And it's like, it's so over the top. So they reveal it. And it's like, Dungeness crap. And they have Dungeness crab and they had to make a whole dinner with the four courses out of Dungeness crab. Anyway, my wife the whole time was like, this is the cheesiest thing I've ever seen. I absolutely loved it. I was mesmerized by this show. So, so even though it's not new, it's definitely new to me. I watched something that took place after 1989. So it's Iron Chef USA. If you've never seen it Derek I would recommend that you look for it and watch it because it is just so cool and awesome but anyway that's my thing I watched something kind of new and so I think we should get started I mean we love him we hate him we agree we disagree Freddie Mercury is the greatest singer who who ever was he is the greatest singer that ever will be some of the things in Freddie Mercury's real life were uh, possibly (laughs) x-rated there is no way Rocky was a better movie than Taxi Driver I love this idea. Probably the greatest film that's ever made. And I just picked it on a whim. And we can have a couple beers and we can play Escape from the Death Star. Walking in a winter wonderland. I try to pick something Christmas. This is a Fargan trick question. All right. So this week, uh, it was over to you and you picked Guardians of the Galaxy from 2014 and had me go watch this movie. I had never seen it. Um, Now, I did watch Iron Man previously for the podcast so it's not my first time sort of in the uh marvel cinematic universe you know before i ask you to kind of tell me a little bit about the movie i'd like to know where does this movie fit in the marvel canon because you described it to me like all these marvel movies all kind of piece together and fit together and they kind of all overlap and and belong to, you know, they have things that kind of connect to each other. So where does this movie fit into the Marvel canon is my first question. Because I think you said also it was kind of, it was kind of an unknown intellectual property. Kind of when it first came out, people were like, well, I don't know, what's Guardians of the Galaxy? What's this? So tell me a little bit about how it fits into the Marvel canon. And then also why you wanted to nominate it for the podcast. Sure. So... 
part I'm going to do those in the reverse order. So part of the reason I wanted to nominate it for the podcast, in addition to the fact that I really enjoy it and I think it's a great movie, is that it very much is a standalone part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or at least it was when it first was introduced. And I think that was by design. Uh, before this, you had the introduction of Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, the Hulk, and they had already done the first Avengers movie. So the Marvel Cinematic Universe was already well on its way to to where they wanted it to be. It was making money. It was very popular. The movies were making sequels. People had come to expect that the Marvel movies would interconnect with each other, and 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 it was great. And then with the Guardians of the Galaxy, the idea was that the long-term story plans potentially could involve bringing characters into outer space or uh, in the first Avengers movie. I know it's a spoiler because you haven't seen it. They fight aliens. Some aliens come to Earth, and that's part of the big plot of why all the heroes have to come together in the first team-up movie is, oh, well, we all have a common enemy. Let's get together and fight. And so by introducing the Guardians of the Galaxy, it allowed the the creators of the Marvel world – Marvel Cinematic World, anyway, to start to explore this idea of what does outer space look like in the Marvel Universe? Because up until now, all the characters had been very grounded. They were all, well, I don't want to say real people, but in theory, it was like you have Tony Stark, who's mm-hmm. a billionaire with some tech. You have Bruce It Banner, all took place on in a lab yeah. accident. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, in the Thor movie, they, uh, they explain that although Thor has been worshipped as a god, he's really just part of a very advanced alien race, and their technology is so advanced that to us it seems like magic, which is why, you know, uh, older uh, mankind worship them as gods. Uh, so they sort of, but they sort of gloss over that. They're like, as long as you can accept that they're not really quote-unquote gods, they're just advanced aliens, here's a story about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the intent was that they wanted to bring them – they knew the Marvel stories potentially were going to involve more aliens and otherworldly travel and things like that. And so by bringing the Guardians of the Galaxy property into the the fold, they had a way to explore that without just saying, Iron Man jumps on a space shuttle and goes to, to Mars. And you're like, what? This makes no sense whatsoever. It's like, well, here's a story that takes place entirely in space. And they already had – uh, like the characters that are in this movie are all ex- pre-existing Marvel characters, but many of them had not been very popular uh, recently. They were all in. I read a thing today. It said the main five characters of this movie, the five heroes that make up the quote unquote Guardians of the Galaxy. They were all introduced in the comics before the original Star Wars movie was released in 1977. All of these characters <coughs> were originally premiered in comic books. In the 60s and 70s. But, not, but they weren't called Guardians of the Galaxy comic books? Like they were just in other people's comic books is what you're saying? Some were. There was a Guardians of the Galaxy comic book, but it okay. didn't feature this lineup. The idea oh. is that over the years, the, the term Guardians of the Galaxy for a name of space heroes has been used multiple times. And they've used like a rotating cast of characters, similar to the way they do that for the Avengers or the X-Men or any of these other uh, comic book team or the Justice League and DC comics, where there are usually some characters that that stick around longer than others because they're more popular. Um, but other characters, not so much like the Rocket Raccoon character was not introduced as a part of the Guardians of the Galaxy until like almost around the time the movie came out. Um, whereas Star-Lord was introduced in the Guardians of the Galaxy like in the 70s. So – um, again, they, they, they borrowed from what they thought would work. And it, it, the idea was they want to take a risk with this movie. And that's part of the reason they picked like all these unknown characters fighting relatively unknown villains, because if it didn't work for some reason, they could easily jettison it from the bigger plan that was already being successful. But as it turned out, it was a huge hit. It, it was, um, made a lot of money. It became a fan favorite very quickly. Um, and they, you know, very quickly started putting a sequel into the works and, uh, in the bigger picture, the guardians of the galaxy eventually started to weave their way into the bigger Marvel story, which we'll get into as we go through the movie itself. So with that, I've been talking a lot. I want to get, uh, some of your initial thoughts right off the bat. 
love it, hate it, somewhere in the middle, and then start to walk me through it. What'd you like, not like, and what kind of questions do you have? Because I know you're going to have questions. <clears throat> okay, so I just want to just preface this whole conversation by first saying that my my first foray into the uh, Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe was Iron Man, as I mentioned previously, and I really liked Iron Man, if you remember. I liked that a lot. Even I was saying to my wife, and she's like, yeah, I liked Iron Man too when we watched it together uh, for the pod here. Um, but this one was probably more hate than like. I didn't like this movie, man. Um, and I know it's just me. And I don't know how many times I say that on this podcast. This thing grossed like $772 million at the box office. So what the hell do I know? I understand that, you know, I mean, I'm the, I'm the odd man out here. Although I will say, you know, when you think about it, that the box office grosses are really heavily skewed toward newer movies. Like part of it's probably that they charge more for movie tickets now. Yeah, for sure. And and maybe the fact that a lot of newer movies are in 3D and they charge like a premium for that too. Or an IMAX or any of those other things. Right. Yeah. But I, I guess overall, I guess you could make the argument that box office grosses aren't really indicative of much. I mean, I remember a time when E.T. was one of the highest grossing films of all time. It was like fourth or something like that at, at some point. And now it's like 90th. And Guardians of the Galaxy, funny enough, is is like the 100th highest grossing film of all time worldwide, 772 million. And it's, you know, just right behind Star Wars from 1977. Star Wars, you know, three million more. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I guess box office isn't indicative of much, you know, but like I say, this movie made a lot of money. So people obviously liked it, you know, but I, I just, I don't know. I didn't really like it that much. I, and, and, and we'll kind of go through it. So the movie opens up. And it's 1988, which I think is great because that's pretty much the last year before I stopped watching new movies, right? So it's really Perfect. great. And the kid's listening to a Sony Walkman. So I'm like, okay, this is great. And another thing too is his dad in the scene, it's the scene where his mom is sick in the hospital, right? Yes. And, and his dad is there. I thought that his dad was Ken Howard, the guy from The White Shadow. I was like, is that, is that him? But like, I knew it, like he, he would, would have been, you know, much older than this actor when this movie came out. Cause it was like 2014. So I knew it wasn't him, but anyway, so the scene is, you know, the mom dies and then the kid gets abducted by a spaceship in a field. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then the opening credits come in and I realize this film is like chock full of really well-known actors. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a cast of who's who, even though the characters they play in many cases, even comic book people are like, I don't know who these are. They knew that this is a movie about unknown characters and un and we've got a lot of question marks. This could really go sideways in a hurry, but let's give it some immediate credibility by putting big names in it so that at least you'll walk through the door or give it a chance if right. you're not already coming because it's part of a comic book movie. That makes sense. So, so it fast forwards like 26 years <clears throat> and he's still got the Walkman and the same cassette tape I think is in it. It's like yes. greatest hits mix number one or something like awesome that. Awesome mix volume one. Yeah. And then he goes into this like gothic castle thing. And one thing I thought was kind of cool was he has this like diamond shaped thing and he threw it at the bad guys. And I was expecting an explosion, but it's like a magnet thing that kind of yeah. like pulls it. I thought that was kind of cool, actually. And so I'm like, okay, this is pretty good. And then there's uh, he goes back to the ship like he steals this like orb thing right yes and he goes back to the ship and there's like this girl with like red skin and she's there and he, he goes oh i totally forgot you were here so i figured okay this is this movie's gonna try and go for some laughs i guess and more very like much a, yes. of an adult kind of humor more mature themes you know kind of thing to it and then this blue guy comes out and i'm like i recognize that guy he was in the walking dead he was yes, like he was. merle you know yes, daryl's brother and so you realize they're obviously thieves or pirates or something and then but then this is where things kind of and so I, I'm, I'm already thinking okay this might be okay right and then there's this scene with like the bad guy and then the dialogue comes in and it's like i promise to retrieve the orb for thanos and then only then will he destroy zendar for me and then it's like nebula you go to zendar zoan has already decreed that i shall go and i'm like oh my god really like the actors must have been thinking i have to say this these are my lines. Like, what the hell? Did, I, I, I didn't know what any of it meant. And I started to get very confused by these names. And I and it, I don't know. It, it really, I, I, again, I'm, I'm very simple. So I was having trouble understanding the world that they were in. I was having trouble understanding what the hell was going on. Now, keep in mind, I'm the Gen Xer. I like to keep things pretty simple, you know. But uh, 
I just, I, I found at this point it was, I was having trouble kind of following along with what's going on. Okay. I don't know. That's just my thing. Um, the raccoon though, they, they go to this like busy city and he's like watching people walking around. And then I noticed Stan Lee. Yes. Was there. He was like talking to the girl. That was a little cameo. Yeah. yeah. He always does that. Right. And, but then they go to this like bank thing or something. And the guy's like, Ronan wants to destroy Zendar and civilization. Again, I'm just, oh, here it is with all these names again. I just don't get it. And then some green girl tries to steal the orb. So I realized that people are green, pink, red, blue. There's like a tree man. There's a raccoon. It's a very diverse society, this Zendar place. So I got to give it that. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, again, some of these, some of the names, the places and the races have been mentioned or have been shown in some of the other Marvel movies. So I guess um, if you've seen them, uh, some of the characters, you're like, oh, they're talking about this character again. Okay, we've already heard that this is a bad guy or um, some of the, you know, the, the people with the blue skin or the people with the pink skin. It's like, oh, is that who I saw in this other previous movie? Um, but again, it being a science fiction setting, I, I'm usually pretty blind to that. It's just okay. That people are going to look different, sound different, smell different, whatever. No problem. Let's let's get to the to the story. And forgive me if if I if I'm just missing this from what you said previously. So <clears throat> we had talked before about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and you know I, I've seen some things posted online too about like the order that you're supposed to watch them in. Like, do you watch them as? And I think you've always said it, it's best to watch them in the way that they were released. Yeah. theatrically but then other yep. people had put on and said no no watch them in this order because this is the order that they kind of take place in and this is how they fit together better where does this movie fit in according because would you say iron man is the start of everything yeah iron man's first movie um i want to say guardians of the galaxy is like the seventh or eighth movie in oh so it's quite like, a ways in right yeah by now you've had iron man one and two captain america one and two thor one and two the hulk and the first avengers movie uh, and then i okay so that's think kind of where else. that fits and in then i there. think it was guardians and then i want to think the next movie after this was avengers two or maybe another captain america mm-hmm. um but yeah but the but again part of the reason i suggested you watch this one was the 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 little details that you would get out of watching those other movies are just a little bit of extra flavor. They're they're not necessarily relevant to what's been happening before now. Some of the things that happened in this movie are then carried forward into the other properties, which we'll talk about as we go through. Sure. But um, at this point in the movie, really, all you should all you need to worry about is Peter Quill's from Earth. He was taken when he was a little kid. He's now a grown up. Uh, he's like a space pirate or a mercenary and he's got this orb he's trying to sell. And apparently some people want it for bad things. Other people just want it because it's worth money. And, you know, at this point in the story, through timing and coincidence, all the major players start to show up at the same place at the same time because they all want the MacGuffin. They all start chasing after each other and fighting for it. And, uh, of course, then they all get arrested. And speaking of arrested, this is where the cops come in. And Glenn Close is like the head cop. And so I like Glenn Close. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe this will get better. And then she starts talking about Zendar and peace treaties and all this gibberish. And I'm like, I'm thinking at this point, I wonder if she is thinking, I've been nominated for seven Academy Awards. What the hell am I doing here? I mean, she's never won. So she'll obviously be keeping the streak alive with this movie. That's for sure. But anyway, so they arrest them and they take them all to prison. And at this point, you kind of know that they're going to like they're going to form some sort of team. Right. Like the, yeah. the tree and the raccoon and the green girl and Chris Pratt. And he was in Jurassic World, too, wasn't he? After this. Yes. Yeah. I didn't like that one either. But that's another story. Um, but the raccoon that is like he was in Moneyball. Did you like that? Yes, I did. I did like Moneyball. Go. Actually. Yeah. You're like, he what you're right. He did. He played one of the players, didn't he? Um, <clears throat> so the raccoon is like laying out his plan to remove the battery from like the security camera or something or whatever it is. And then behind him, you see like the tree guy pulls it off the wall. And so I thought that was pretty good. Um, and then they go to escape and Chris Pratt is like getting his stuff out of this locker box and he notices something missing and you just know it's the Walkman. Of course. Right. But then you see the present from his mom still wrapped up. It's like in a drawer. And so you just know it's going to be like something significant in the movie. He's going to open it later. Right. Of course. And then they go to this casino where they bet on lizards trying to escape being eaten by another lizard, which again, kind of cool. Sure. And then um, Chris Pratt tries to like come on to the green girl and then she's like well i don't dance 
And then I did like the fact, because he's like, well, he, he goes, let me tell you a story about a legend back on Earth known as Footloose with the hero Kevin Bacon. And I, I thought, okay, well, that's pretty good. Um, but then they give the orb to Benicio del Toro, right? Yep. And then his slave girl grabs it, thinking, you know, it's going to give her the power to like get away. And that's when you kind of realize that, you know, you can't touch this thing or it has like unbelievable power. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and so uh, the character that Benicio del Toro plays, the collector. Oh, the collector. He, yes, he was teased at the end of the movie that came before this. So you know, in the Marvel movies, there's always a post-credits scene. Right, and and and, the, and stick a pin in that. I want to come back to yeah. that because I have a question for you on that yeah. later. So so the the previous movie before this was the the sequel to Thor. It was Thor: The Dark World, the second Thor movie, and at okay. the end of that movie, the characters go to the collector to give them the MacGuffin from the previous movie. And they're like, Hey, you know, you know how to keep valuable things safe, keep this valuable thing safe for a movie down the road. And so for people who are familiar with Marvel characters, when you're like, Oh, I know who that is. And then, so when he appears in this one, they're like, we're going to our, to the collector. You're like, we saw him at the end of the last movie. That's pretty wow. Del Toro. But if you don't know that, it's not a big deal. It's just a little, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Are you paying attention? We sort of gave you a little clue as to who's going to who this guy's going to be. So the secret to these Marvel Cinematic Universe movies is that they kind of all connect together. But if you don't know that, they still work and they stand and work as standalones, right? Some some better than others. Okay. Uh, as as the movie universe got bigger and bigger and more characters started to get introduced. Um, they started to explain sort of the, like the, the culmination of all of it, that the, the 10 year project was the last two Avengers movies, uh, infinity war. And what the, the last was it Avengers last stands. That was called Jesus. I'm blanking on the title right this second. And in those two movies, um, you have sort of, you have all of the characters from all of the other movies coming together to fight Thanos, the main villain. And um, so you have all of this interaction. So if you go to see those movies and have not seen any of the other movies, you're going to probably be overwhelmed by like, there are 50 people in this movie. Like who is everybody and what is their relationship to each other? And why are they here? And by that point, Marvel had basically said, look, if you're along for the ride, great. You're going to love what you see. All your characters are in this, but some of them only have five minutes of screen time. And uh, if you've never seen any of our movies before, buckle up, man, because there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. uh, but at this point with this Guardians movie, this one, again, is is pretty much designed to be a standalone because at the time they didn't know if it was going to work. And there was some real uh, concerns that if, if, the, if this doesn't get pulled off, if the Rocket Raccoon character and the, the Groot, the Living Tree character aren't aren't flying and the audiences don't buy it and the, the movie doesn't do well they could have easily just went and then the guardians of the galaxy fly in outer space and we never hear from them again and they were part of like they were part of comic books previously those two characters that's why they were in there it wasn't just for the movie uh they they both existed in comic books before yeah okay and then okay yeah my understand again i haven't i'm not really familiar with the guardians of the galaxy um comic book property but i believe in like the early 2000s um, Marvel was really shuffling around their their characters in their various books. They were trying uh, new things. So you got to think in the early 2000s, once the internet really started to take off, um, print media was was a much more difficult way to make money. It was harder to sell physical books uh, when people could just scan in the pages and share the files digitally. So in order to try and uh, boost sales, uh, Marvel, DC, and all the comic book companies were trying anything they could any sort of gimmicks to have people come into the store and actually buy books. So you got a lot of old characters dusted off and a lot of uh, things like, you know, we're going to make a new lineup of characters for the Avengers. We're going to make a new lineup of characters for the X-Men. Come on in and see who's in the new issue. And so one of the one of the things they did was they, they brought back the Guardians of the Galaxy, which had been a moderately successful uh, title on and off through the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And then around the early 2000s, they relaunched it with pretty much the characters that are in the movie. Um, so uh, that the, anyone who was uh, into the comic books and was reading Guardians at that point would have been familiar with these characters. Uh, but all of the characters had previously existed in other stories, along with all the villains, Ronan the Accuser and Nebula, 
uh, and Thanos, they're all hardcore Marvel villains. So if you had been reading Marvel comics anywhere over the last 20 years, there's a good chance you were already familiar with these characters because they were pretty big deals. And even the collector appeared in a lot of uh, a lot of books. He's uh, sort of a background neutral character who's a good one of these good ways where the, the comic book writer can say, how do I do a big information dump? Oh, I know. They're going to go visit the collector. He'll tell them. So. Well, I know I'm the old man who yells at kids to get off my lawn, but I, I just I found it a bit loud and crazy and all these special effects. But at the end of the day, like it just it felt like it was forgettable. If, if, if I didn't have to watch it for the podcast, I probably would have turned it off. I know that's awful, um, but the Ronan's the bad guy and he takes the orb to Thanos. He but, is supposed to, but, but he then he doesn't. opens it up and he like touches it. And it's greedy. Yeah. And they mention it's like the infinity crystal or something. So is that like infinity war? Is that where this comes from? Yeah. So what, what ends up happening and this, again, this is part of Marvel comic book lore. There are six infinity stones. Each one has a special power. And when you bring all six of them together, it basically can grant someone ultimate power over the universe. But Anyone who's ever tried to wield that power in the past has basically d- been blown up. As you saw with the slave girl that that touches the one gem, she like within two or three seconds, she blows up like she can't contain it. It's not not designed for normal mortal people to handle these things. They're basically the remnants of the force that created the universe sort of. Yeah, again, they're the MacGuffin. So in the various Marvel movies, different stories have revolved around different infinity stones because all the stones have different powers – the previous movies have sort of focused on various themes related to the power of each stone. Um, like one of the stones is the time stone. So in the Doctor Strange movie, it's all about time travel, manipulating the past and the future. So the story is directly related to the powers that the stones possess. So in this one, we get introduced to – I think it's the power stone. It just amplifies the the energy of the other stones and whatever sort of powers you already have. And they give you that history lesson when he go, they go to the collector. He tells you, he goes, you know, at the dawn of time, there were there was the Big Bang. And when that happened, there were these six crystals was all that was left of the power that created the universe. And these crystals have been lost across the galaxy. And, and you know, that's why Thanos wants this one is, you know, it's it's one of the six that he's trying to collect to gain the ultimate power over the universe. Excuse me. So. So, yeah. the, so the power of this crystal, it's like. Like apparently, like the, when 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 it was in the big ship, and remember all the little ships form that kind of web to like stop it. And, yeah. and because is it if 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 it touches the ground, the power from the crystal will like blow up the planet. Is that what was the deal was? That the yes that that was the intent of the Ronin who was able to wield the power. That was what he wanted to do with it. Yeah, they it, were and they were like you know we got to stop Ronin and and he has the stone and we'll destroy Zendar and again all this with the gibberish and the stuff I didn't understand. But why does Ronin want to destroy the Zendar place anyway? Is it just because he's, he's a evil? religious fanatic and the two cultures are at war and his religion says that we're better than you are and you're you're an abomination and you got to go. So he's just he's just really evil, yeah. I guess it's an easy it's an easy trope, right? It's like right. how how do we know he's bad? He wants to kill everybody indiscriminately. If you don't look like him, you're bad. It's like well, we know from human history that when people start talking like that, bad yep. things happen. So you just apply it in space and you say the blue people hate the pink people, right. and you're like, okay, this guy's this guy's bad news. And that's at the beginning when Glenn Close's character comes on, mm-hmm. the person she's speaking to again has that blue skin, and she's like. Your guy Ronan is doing these things, and that's in violation of our treaty. And the guy says, "Look, Ronan's a fanatic. We can't control him. What he does is is beyond the scope of our treaty. Uh, you're on your own. We we can't help you." Mm-hmm. I just figure if, if he's evil, you know, why wouldn't he just go and start up an evil petting zoo? Is it an evil petting? Zoo? <laughs> exactly. You know, that with the sharks better. with freaking lasers. And so they come up with the plan that they're gonna kind of like fly their ship inside the big ship to destroy it from the inside. And then they get in there. And then I like it because the green girl says, we're heroes just like Kevin Bacon. So I thought yeah. that was pretty good. Yeah. That was pretty good. Now I have a question. Was this movie in 3D in the theaters? I honestly don't know. It would not surprise me if it was, because that's usually how they try and make more money out of these things. I, does, yeah. I know it was definitely IMAX because I, I, I was reading through the trivia and they talked about how, you know, it used... Uh, uh, state-of-the-art technology to film certain scenes and the new IMAX technology, blah, blah, blah. 
I'm like, okay, whatever. They got my money. I saw it in the theater. I bought it in Blu-ray and we're good to go. All that, I don't know. Even if it was in 3D, I'll tell you what, it it was no Metal Storm, the destruction of Jared Sin. Let me tell you that. It wasn't Jaws 3D. It wasn't even Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. Um, Why didn't he open the present from his mom sooner? I don't understand because it was like 25 years or something, right? So you got to think like he uh, was taken from Earth. So his mom dies at the beginning. And he's a little kid. And so obviously he, his mom, you know, when the mom's like, take my hand because she knew she was going to die. She wanted to say goodbye to him and he didn't do it. So I imagine as an eight year old kid, you look back on that and you have a lot of regret and a lot of guilt for not doing it. And I I think the idea is that through his life, he's had to sort of live with that guilt and deal with that guilt and, and sort of as a punishment to himself, he's decided not to open this present uh, for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, you get the sort of happy message at the end of the movie where it's like, you know, family doesn't have to be the people that are blood related to you. Family is, you know, the people that that choose to to help you and be there in hard times and that you want to work together with and and that you'll sacrifice for them. That kind of thing. Right. You get the whole, oh, look, we're the Guardians of Galaxy. We're a family now. And by the end, it's like, okay, now it's you get the sense that he's he's forgiven himself for this uh, this. action or lack of action when his mother died right which is why at the end when Gamora's yelling out or uh, is it Gamora yeah where she's yelling out you know Peter Peter take my hand take my hand and he has a flashback of his mother saying take my hand right it's like oh hey look they're, they're the parallels in the storytelling and at this point he realizes like I'm going to take this person's hand like this person's here to help me and I I finally get over not doing it when I was eight years old well I did like the fact that it was like I said mentioned earlier it's diverse it's a diverse society and blue people and pink people and red people can all get along together. I thought that was yeah. really cool. Um, and speaking of which, John C. Riley, he's like the cop, right? Yeah. Um, at the end there, you realize he's married to a red girl and he has yeah. red kids. So again, very diverse, progressive film. I like that, obviously. It's great. Um, anytime I think that you can sort of depict a society where we can all live together peacefully, always cool in my books. It doesn't matter if you're red, blue or green or even a tree. You know, I guess inside we're all the same. Right. Yeah. Something like that. Yep. Um, so let me ask you this. Yes. So one of the one of the reasons one of the other reasons I asked you to watch this, mm-hmm. knowing that there's a good chance you weren't going to like it. I really hope that there would be enough that you did like that you would, uh, you know, at least sway you more on the positive. And I felt that the music was going to win you over. So talk to me about the music. Yeah. You know, it didn't. And, and here's the thing. I think you had the same notion when you had me watch Ready Player One. Because it had right. all these like throwbacks to the 80s. And I just found that to just to be like a loud, busy mess. And I think that's maybe what I thought here too. Was it just so busy and, and fast. And I I mean, as much as I like the, the, the comments about Kevin Bacon and Footloose and all that stuff. And even some of the music. You know, obviously I love 80s music. It's great. Um, but it wasn't enough to... It, it felt a little... I don't know. It felt a little contrived. It just felt like something they just threw into the movie for some reason. I'm not sure why. Um, so it didn't really have any connection for me, I guess. So that's why it didn't really work. Wow. Okay. Does that make sense? That's like, you know, it, it, yeah. I mean, that that's not the reaction I was expecting, but you know, I know I, I, I should know. have known by now. That's how you, <laughs> I know you lean in that direction. Cause one of the things that the, uh, the writer director, Peter Gunn was talking about was he felt that the music was very influential to help him sort of come up with the various story elements. Um, and, on set, he would actually play certain songs during the shoots of the movie and say, like, this is what we're going to be playing during this scene. I want you guys to, like, listen to it to sort of help help get you in the mood. Like, we talked in one of the shows a couple of weeks ago about uh, movie songs. And I, I had, like, I the Tiger and the Danger Zone. I was saying, yeah. like, those are, like, anthems that just pump you up. Oh, and, yeah. And so I think that there are certainly scenes in this movie where, um, you know, that, that was definitely what he was trying to convey was some of these songs are like, let's get pumped. Like at the end, before the big fight, when they played Cherry Bomb, uh, apparently that was one of the first uh, times when he did this. He's like, I'm going to play this song. And when you're when you're all getting together and coming out and suiting up and getting ready to do the ba- big battle towards the end here, this is the music cue we're going to use. Um, so you have like this this rock and punk style of song, right? And um, and then the so there's a sequel, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, which is called Volume Two instead of Part Two. Mm-hmm. You know, as a, as a nod to the cassette, which was Awesome Mix Volume One. Gotcha. And then at the end of this movie, when he opens up the, the present from his mother, sure enough, it's Awesome Mix Volume Two. And so in the sequel, 
we get to hear what songs were on that cassette. And so you have that same style of music used in the second movie. Uh, I think the almost even better effect, because a lot of the times you have, and you've talked about this previously too, where the, the song, the lyrics of the song and the mood that the song creates uh, reflect what's happening in the movie at that time. Not that any of the songs were written for this movie. Uh, right. Of course, they're all older songs, but uh, you know, there's certainly a little Just how they're interwoven in. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It, that certainly happens a little bit in the first one, but in the second one, there's like some some pretty big themes that 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 go on where the music really, really lends itself quite nicely to that. And in interviews with uh, with Peter Gunn, they asked him like, "How did you come up with this list?" And he said he had like. 300 songs he narrowed down to like 100 125 songs and he's like okay these are the songs that i think i want to use in this in the course of my story with these with these characters whether it's one movie two movies three movies so they they asked him that when he was writing the sequel they're like oh uh, you know how are you gonna pick the music he's like i already have the music picked. I, you, when, yeah I did that you know, all did all that up front you know what they should have done though was they should have really used their head and they should have used spaceship superstar from prism <laughs> Canadian content coming in there. Just because I saw them in concert. Yeah, sure. um, now, you mentioned earlier, and you told me this on a previous podcast, that at the end of all of these Marvel uh, comic movies, that the, you have to stick around till the end of the credits because there's like an epilogue that happens after the closing credits. So I get to the end of the movie, and I was like, I was just kind of like fast forwarding through the credits, but like skipping through. Yeah. And then I came, at, but all I found was this scene with... Benicio del Toro and Howard the Duck. So yeah. what what was all that about? Like, it's nothing really happens, or I just didn't really get it. No, and and so this is this is the thing with some of the movies, um, because they um, they maybe didn't have anything specific to tease for what was coming next, or they they sort of felt we we don't want to give away any details. They would give you just a little callback to the movie you just saw. So earlier in the movie when the when the collector opens up the the orb and you see it's the infinity stone and she grabs a stone and the whole shop blows up and then so at the end you see him sitting there with his whole collection all destroyed and like pieces are all all over the place you see the the cosmonaut dog runs by at one point in the post credit scene and if you would look closely earlier in the movie howard the duck is there but you only see him for a second and then so sure enough at the end of the movie he's he's there as well and again i think it's just a little nod to the the previous Marvel movies that had come out before this tremendous, successful Marvel cinematic universe, you know, just an acknowledgement that there really was a Howard the Duck movie and it's based on a comic book from Marvel comics. So it, again, it was just sort of a little wink, wink acknowledgement to uh, a previous, previous property. Uh, speaking of Howard, the duck movie, um, do you think this means that like, like I was watching it and I, and I thought, does this mean that they're going to reboot? Howard the Duck, because there's all these like reboots and reimaginings. And I was like, I really hope not, because the Howard the Duck movie was perfect the way it was. And and yes, it's true. I actually liked Howard the Duck from like 1987, but I didn't like this movie. So just go figure. It's just the way I am. I, well, I, I'm, a, I'm a Gen Xer who just doesn't warm up to this new stuff. What can I say? Yeah. Well, so I got I got good news, bad news, probably more bad news. They are rebooting Howard the Duck. Oh man. It's sucks. going to be if I remember correctly, it's going to be as a series on I want to say Hulu or maybe Netflix. I want to say Hulu. And um so Kevin it's not Smith, a movie. It's not a movie then. No, it's going to be a TV show. And okay. Kevin Smith, the writer director of Clerks and Mallrats mm-hmm. and Jane Silent Bob and all that, he is I think the head writer for the show or is the executive producer. He's attached to that property. Uh, so he's working on it now and they're going to release it. They announced like four or five Marvel comic properties that they were like sort of like B and C list properties that were not part of the technical Marvel universe. But in this age where comic book stuff is profitable, they dug into the into the well and they went, what do we have that we can sort of spit out and not interfere with the stuff that's already making money? And so he's got the 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 green light to go ahead with this show. So mm. if you're a fan of Kevin Smith, which I am, oh, yeah, I'm, looking forward, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to do with it. And the Howard the Duck character has always been a more mature – for more mature audiences. So oh, definitely. I think that's going to fit agree. better with Kevin Smith's style. I mean I think he's going to have to clean it up a little bit because he's definitely a, a hard R when it comes to his normal dialogue. But, but I'm curious to see how he does it. Um, one last thing before uh, potentially we move on here. Uh, the character of Groot, the the, the tree man, yeah. was voiced by Vin Diesel. Okay. So we learned very quickly he has a limited vocabulary. He can say I and am and Groot in that order. That's it. Yep. 
Now, what I'd read was when Vin Diesel, very much like Kenny Baker in Star Wars, when Vin Diesel was given the script, he had a script that actually had the dialogue in English. So they're like, this is your response. When he says this, this is what you're saying. Try to convey that through using the words, I am Groot. So instead of (laughs) saying, hey, guys, hurry up, say, I am Groot. But this is what you're trying to inflect and do what you think you need to do to try and convey that. Now, obviously, that's exceptionally difficult to do, especially if someone gives you you know, many lines of dialogue. Mm-hmm. And, and especially for someone with as limited acting range as Vin Diesel well, has. <laughs> yeah. Love him or hate him. I right. mean, he, he's certainly got uh, some abilities to do some things. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the voice work it, it was, was definitely right up his alley. Like he's got a great voice and, and he seems that he's doing a decent job. And, yeah, I, and in an right. interview, they asked him how many times during the course of your voiceovers, do you think you said, I am Groot? And he said, someone had counted. It was well over a thousand times. So, not that they used it a, a thousand lines in the movie, but again, if, if you know your character's supposed to say something like, look out, then, you know, you're going to read the words, I am Groot differently than please pass the salt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I always found that fascinating. And, and I'd heard that in Star Wars, both uh, R2-D2 and Chewbacca in early in, in, in early shooting scripts, their dialogue was written out so that those actors, especially with Chewbacca, like they knew what he was right. saying. So the yeah. other actors could. He said the lines. He actually did yeah, say the lines. yeah, yeah. And then so the, and then they just overdubbed it with the growling. Exactly. No idea. We as the audience have no idea, but the the writer, the actors, and the uh, the people on set always did. So whether or not that's true with the Groot, I, I like to think that it is. Um, you know, to me that just felt like it added another level uh, to the movie. Um, yeah, I liked it. I I liked the movie. I liked the way they introduced these characters. No one had heard of. even right like that was one of the running jokes is that nobody had heard of them. Like when he when he first gets caught stealing the orb and the guy comes in and he's like. Who are you? And he's like, uh, Peter Quill. And he's like, never heard of you. And he's like, oh, you might know me by my other name. I'm Star-Lord. And he's like, who? Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's a very meta sort of wink, wink to the audience to say like, yeah, the people in the movie don't even know who these guys are. So if you're here in the audience and you don't know who these guys are, don't sweat it. We're going to bring you up to speed. And uh, and then there was the running gag every time they brought him in or he contacted uh, uh, the, the Nova Corps. They said like it had like known aliases. It was like Star Prince. And he's like, hey, look, it's like Space Lord or something. And he's like, oh, come on, man, Star Lord. Like and then there's a part right at the end where he's like, hey, they remembered my name this time. So, well, like I say, it made 772 million worldwide. So I actually had to sort of stop and reflect and think, like, is it just me? Like, maybe I'm the one that's wrong. Yeah, that's exactly that's it. it. You know, the movie made on the head, bud. The movie made a boatload of money that made a sequel. You seem to love it. You know, you're not alone either. Um, You know, so I thought, you know, maybe it'd just be being a crotchety old fart. But then I realized, no, it's just a really dumb movie. But that being said, like the blue people and the red people and the green people and the tree men, we should probably learn a lesson and we should all just try to get along, regardless of what generation of movies we like. So. What do you give it as a rating out of 10? Probably high for you, right? Uh, yeah, I'd give it at least an eight. Oh, wow. Yeah. Super, and I've probably super. seen it uh, in its entirety. I've probably seen it maybe five or six times, but I've probably seen parts of it another five or six. So I would say like there are some scenes I've probably seen 10 times or more. If it's if I'm like, oh, hey, let's just throw this on for 20 minutes. I'm going to watch this prison escape sequence or uh, I'm going to watch the beginning where they all uh, are fighting on Xandar before they get thrown into jail or something. So, but yeah, I, I, I've seen this one a few times. Uh, it's certainly not the Marvel movie I've seen the most, but it is definitely closer to the top of the list than the bottom of the list for me. I really Which Marvel movie have you seen the most? Probably Iron Man. I think I've probably oh, yeah. seen that one. Like I can say that one was good. That was good. I like that. I would say between 10 and 15 times in its entirety and probably closer to 25 for some sequences just because that one had been on TV a lot. And it's funny because my, my son, who's 10, had seen this movie, Guardians of the Galaxy, prior uh, to me seeing it. And so he was like, oh, I want to watch it with you. He's like, oh, Derek made you want you to watch it for the podcast. I want to watch it with you, daddy. And I and I didn't. I watched it the other night by myself. And then when he found out in the morning, he was all upset. I want to watch it with you. I wanted to watch it. I really. So he obviously, like I say, maybe it's just me. You know, he yeah. he really likes it. So uh, I'd probably give it about a four out of ten. Sorry. Yeah. Just the way it is. You know, anyway, on that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. OK, I mentioned earlier that during the opening credits, I realized how many well-known actors were in this movie. 
right? There's a lot, right? So it made yeah. me realize that, you know what we need to do? We haven't done this for a while. So we need to play a round of the winner's circle from the $100,000 pyramid. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you lists of movies, okay? And each group of lists I give you all have the same actor in them. And the tie-in to this week's podcast is that all these actors appeared in Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay? So I'm going to give you a list of movies. You name the actor that was in them. And and, okay. and this this actor was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay? Okay. Ready? Yes. Go. In and Out. Reversal of Fortune. Dangerous Liaisons. The Big Chill. Going close. Yes. Uh, Sicario. The usual Benicio suspect. Del Toro. The A Team. Bradley Cooper. Yes. Boogie Nights. The Aviator. Oh, um, um, John C. Riley. Yes. Saving Private Ryan. The Fast and the Furious. Oh, Vin Diesel. X Men. The Incredible Hulk. Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3. Oh, Stan Lee. Yes, you got it. That was fast. That was great time. You just, you just zip through those things. Well, uh, oh I, like I said, most of, the, most of the big names in this movie are big names and they've yeah. been in a lot of good movies or movies that, you know, or that you love that you are at least familiar with. Yeah. It's I, I, one of the things that I, I didn't do, but I, I kind of wanted to was to go back and count mm-hmm. the number of Oscar nominations that the entire cast has between them. And I would say the over and under on that, I'd probably put at like 25. And I, and I think I'd probably even go over. Well, like I said, Glenn Close has seven herself, right? Well, Benicio Del Toro's got to have, what, three, four? Three, probably, I and think. And he's got one win. John C. Riley's been nominated once for sure, possibly twice. Jamin Huntsu was nominated. Yes, he was uh, nominated Bradley for... He was uh, nominated many times. That's true. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I don't think anybody else... Uh, I'm trying to think if Peter... if. Uh, uh, Peter Gunn, the director, if he might have been nominated for a writing or something. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that, but uh, you know, definitely lots of, uh, lots of talent in there. And uh, and speaking of talent, man, you went up to the top of the pyramid in record time. I think you beat, Billy, beat Crystal's, Billy Crystal's. I think you might have beat Billy Crystal's record. You know, that was that was just fantastic. Uh, so next show, we're going to come back and we're going to do um, do a topic. We'll figure out what topic that's going to be before we come back and do that. But uh, once again, I don't know. You nominated a movie. Uh, didn't really like it that much. Go figure. That's kind of the way things work around here, unfortunately. Wait, wait, wait. Did that movie that we just watched come out after 1989? Yeah, of course it did. It came out. Oh, in, well, then yeah. I'm not totally surprised that yeah. you hated it. Yeah, exactly. But like I say, I liked Iron Man. There's been a couple that I've liked that you yeah. made me watch uh, that came out after 1989, but not very many. You know, so that's the way it is. Speaking of which, uh, tonight, even before I came down here in the studio, uh, I watched uh, Three's Company. <laughs> nice. Just oh, minute. speaking of Three's Company. Yes. So uh, <laughs> the show that John Ritter was on just before he died, it was called uh, eight, I think it was called Eight Eight Rules, Eight Simple Rules for Dating My for Daughter. Dating My Daughter, yeah. Yeah. So uh, they've been showing that on one of the channels here in reruns. I never watched the show when it was on. It just didn't appeal to me. And I, I have since watched a few episodes and it's not that good, in my opinion. Um, but I watched an episode a couple of weeks ago where – John Ritter's character is struggling with the fact that his kids are moving out and he has a dream and it's a flashback to Three's Company where oh, the, cool. his two daughters and the boyfriend are Jack and Chrissy and uh, and Janet and <laughs> they're cool. in the actual set of the Three's Company thing. That is and awesome. Jack is Mr. Furley and as he walks in the, in the thing, he's like, something very familiar about this apartment. <laughs> and it's like, it is amazing it was so funny and i i fortunately my my uh my cable lets me record a show as long as i don't change the channel i can still record it so i'm watching it i'm like okay i have to record this and then i show my wife a little bit later in the day and she's like oh my god this is fantastic so 
if you uh, if you have some time, take your Roku stick or go on YouTube or try and find this uh, this thing. It's it's only like a ten minute sequence. I think there's a commercial break in between, so it's probably not even as long as that. But oh my god, if you like Three's Company, you should try to find this clip. It was great. That sounds awesome. Like I say, the episode that we uh, that we just watched before I came down was that Karen Austin was in it and she was playing Denise and she was going to marry Jack and Terry was in it. And, and then and then when um, uh, what's what's his name? Uh, Larry comes in. I'm like, look at Larry's hair. and He's got the chest hair and everything. Oh, my God. That show is so funny. I'll tell you, a simpler time with simpler, you know, pop culture. Obviously. Yep. Like I say, we'll come back on our next show and we'll, we'll come back with a different uh, with a topic. You know, rather than a movie. But until then, if you want to reach out to Derek, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you'll find him on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. You'll find me on Twitter at C McBrien and popgoesyourworld.com is our uh, website with all of our contact information on there, of course. Until next time, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 